Summer blockbuster movies. I love movies. I get excited about that. I'm going to be the first one in line on the first $5 Tuesday when Jurassic World opens. Aren't you excited about that? Yeah, I love movies. Maybe maybe one of the reasons uh, that I like movies so much is, as many of you know, because I mention it whenever possible, I was in a movie once. Yeah. And um, in fact, I wrote my own lines in the script. It was a movie about a Christian policeman who was killed in the line of duty, and I had done his funeral. So the writers asked me if I would write what what I had said at the at the funeral, which I did. And then in a bit of inspired typecasting, the producers hired me to be the pastor in the movie. How exciting is that? So I had this great experience of sort of getting to see a little bit of how movies are made, and that uh, really got me excited about it. So, ladies and gentlemen, for the first time on the big screen in 40 years, I want you to enjoy this brief, brief glimpse of the one scene I was in in the movie Heaven's Heroes. And as I thought about Dennis and Cindy and all of you, I realize that your lifestyle is not so far removed from that of the Apostle Paul. He also lived daily with the possibility of death. (laughs) There were so many people who hated Paul because of what he stood for. And he suffered a great deal for the cause of Jesus Christ. And yet in the midst of that life of so much suffering and uncertainty, Paul is able to say an amazing thing. He says, for me to live is Christ. For me to die is gain. Keep it going. Keep it. Keep. Hold your applause till. <laughs> so, to me, that kind of summarizes sort of the theme of what we're talking about because my role in that movie was really small. I mean, I hoped it would be a blockbuster. I had visions of me becoming a star, but I needed to keep telling myself the movie wasn't about me, you know? I just had this little role to play. And what we're doing this summer is we're looking at people in the Bible, ordinary people, some extraordinary people who had a role to play in the great blockbuster of God's story, story of redemption and salvation that God has brought to us through Jesus Christ. So each week we're going to be looking at one of those people, but we need to keep reminding ourselves that they're just playing a part in this huge story in which God is the star. So for these three weeks, we're going to be looking at one of my favorite people in, in the Bible, which is the person Joshua in the Old Testament. I wonder, do we have anybody here named Joshua? Anybody named Joshua? That is, Joshua is a great name. It, it's a name that means, in Hebrew, it means God is our salvation or God saves. And when you take Joshua, that Hebrew name, into the New Testament, in Greek it becomes the name Jesus. God actually directed that his son would be called Joshua. So you might think that to find out about Joshua, we would look first at the book in the Bible that bears his name, the book of Joshua. But actually, we need to go back a lot farther than that. We need to go back to the book of Exodus. God has brought the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, and he's bringing them through the desert to this 
land that God has promised to give to them, the land of Canaan. And right away, they meet a group of Canaanite people, a nation called the Amalekites, who don't want Israel to go there. They are trying to block Israel's progress. So God tells Moses there's going to be a battle here. So who is going to take this ragtag band of former slaves who had known nothing but slavery their whole lives or their parents or their parents before them who have no army, who have virtually no weapons and make them into an army that can fight the Amalekites. And God says to Moses, the guy you need to choose is Joshua. Later on, when they've gone through the desert, they've come to this land that God is giving to them and they send 12 spies into the land to check it out before they began their invasion, you remember? And one of those 12 spies was Joshua. And Joshua and Caleb were the only two spies who came back and trusted God, believed that God was was able to give them this land, even though it was highly fortified and would be a really difficult land to take. They believed and trusted God. That was Joshua. In fact, in one scene... When Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, remember, to receive the Ten Commandments from God, and, and nobody is allowed to come near the mountain, so the, the, the leaders, the elders of the people stand at the base of the mountain, and one person goes up with Moses as Moses, as the Bible says, goes into the thick darkness where God was to receive the Ten Commandments. One person goes up partway with him. That's Joshua. In fact, one of my favorite references to Joshua takes place when, when they're just getting started in this trip toward, toward Israel, toward the promised land. They've got all their tents set up. And outside the camp, it says, Moses set up a tent that he called the Tent of Meeting. And it was in that tent, before the tabernacle was built, that God would come down and speak to Moses face to face. The presence of God was there. And it says the neatest thing. It says that, that Moses would go in and speak to God, and then Moses would leave. And then it says, but the young man Joshua would not depart from the tent. Already he's becoming this man of faith and this love for God and being in the presence of God. Amazing guy. So we come to now to this time when the Israelites have wandered in the wilderness, in the desert for 40 years. Now they're coming and they're getting ready to go into the promised land. Moses has died. Moses, who's been the only leader that these people have ever known, really. Now Moses has died, and Joshua is going to take over the leadership and lead them in this seemingly impossible task of defeating the people in this land and claiming the the inheritance that God has promised them. Is he up to it? Can he do it? Is he going to be successful? Well, yes, he is able to do it. He is successful. And I believe it's because God had given him three unbeatable weapons. In fact, that's the title of what we're talking about today. Joshua and his three unbeatable weapons. So let's take a look at what those, what those weapons are. The first one is the written word of God. Now, I want you to listen to this and, tr- and try to understand because I think it's really important. As Christians, we often ask the question, where did the Bible come from? How did it come to be? You know, they couldn't just order it from Amazon. What was, how did it show up? And the Bible tells us, in fact, what that process was like. Because by the time we get to Joshua, we already have the first five books of the Old Testament. We call them the books of Moses. What were they? Name them with me. Genesis, this, Leviticus, Numbers, 
Deuteronomy. Yeah, right. The first five books, the books of Moses, we call them the Pentateuch, the five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. How did they show up? How did God give this unbeatable gift of his written word to Joshua? Well, the Bible tells us that Moses wrote them down. So if you go back, for instance, to the book of Exodus, chapter 17, listen to what it says. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. And this is God speaking to Moses. Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. And make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. So where did the book of, of Exodus come from? God commanded Moses to write down these things that were happening. So right after they've defeated the Amalekites, God says, you need to write down these things and make sure that Joshua hears them, that he has access to this. Where did it come from? God directed Moses to write it. The book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 33, first couple verses, it says, here are the stages of the journey of the Israelites when they came out of Egypt by divisions under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. At, at the Lord's command, Moses recorded the, the stages of their journey. And this is their journey by stages. Where did the book of Numbers come from? By the way, if you've never read or it's been a long time since you read the book of Numbers, it is a great book. It seems like it might be a little boring because it lists all the numbers of the tribes, but it's got some great stories there. And God commanded Moses to write down those things, to make a record of them. Where did the book of Numbers come from? It came from Moses because God had commanded him to write. The book of Deuteronomy, that means the second giving of the law. Deuteronomy chapter 31, it says, So Moses wrote down this law and gave it to the Levitical priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. And when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, you shall read this law before them in their hearing. Where did the book of Deuteronomy come from? Moses wrote it at God's command. And God said, now take this book, these five books, he says, and entrust them to the priest and make sure that the priests read them to the people. Where did we get the Bible? God oversaw and commanded the process by which we would have this. And this became an unbeatable weapon for Joshua to use as he gave leadership to the people. So, now the Israelites are coming, getting ready to go into the promised land. Can we back up to the map for a minute, Johnny? Here's what's happening. So the Israelites have come up on the east side of the Dead Sea, up along the eastern side of the Jordan River, and right across the river is Jericho. And the strategy that God has given to them is that they're to take Jericho first, which is this fortified stronghold of the Canaanites. Just past that then is going to be the city of Ai. They're to go in and take those two cities, divide the country in half, and be able to defeat them in that way. How is Joshua going to be able to do that? So God gives him this commission. Here's what he says in Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. He says, Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. You think God means it? Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And then you will be prosperous and successful. God says to Moses, you've got this incredible job to do. Be strong, be courageous, and here's a weapon you can use, he says. It's the written word of God, and you hang on to that. 
In fact, he says three things that Moses, that Joshua is supposed to do with it. One, he says, talk about it. It's not something hidden away, not something you're embarrassed about. You talk about the word of God. God didn't say, okay, Joshua, you're in charge now, and do your best to try to remember some of the things that Moses taught you, some of the things that I did before. No, God says it's written down here in the book, so talk about it. Second thing he says is meditate on it day and night. Think about it. Let my written word influence how you think, how you view the world, how you make decisions, how you exercise leadership, how you relate to me, what you believe about me and what I'm doing in the world. You've got this written world, word, the word of God. And then he says, and be careful to obey all that's in it. Don't turn to the right or the left. Just do what I tell you to do. He's got this incredible written word of God as a weapon, but you've got to obey it, God says. It's not going to be enough just to talk about it, to memorize a couple verses. You've got to live by what it says. And if you do that, God says, you will prosper and be victorious. Why would we think it's any different today? That God has given this amazing weapon to us, the written word of God. We're to talk about it, we're to think about it, and we're to live by it. That's the first weapon that God gave to Joshua. What's the second weapon that God gave to Joshua? Seems like Joshua needs a superpower. I mean, a lot of the summer blockbusters about these superheroes, right? You know, and they all have superpowers. Hey, let me ask you guys. If you could have a, a, a superpower, like being able to fly or something, what would you choose? Do you know what you would choose? What do you think? No, no. Yeah, what do you think you would choose? Yeah. What would what would you choose? If you could choose any kind of power to be able to fly or to pass through walls or all the kinds of things these superheroes are able to do. I I think the one I would choose would be being able to eat desserts without gaining weight. <laughs> Metabolism man, you know, wouldn't that be wouldn't that be cool? Joshua needs a superpower. And that's the second weapon that God gives to him, the supernatural power of God. What God is asking Joshua to do is so hard, so impossible. He needs a superpower, and God gives it to him. Let's, um, let's, let's read this passage when, when God is instructing Joshua about what to do and what's going to happen. This is from Joshua chapter 3. Here's what it says. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel. So they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priest who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. See the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. And yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, The waters from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. 
while the waters flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, were com- was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completely had completed the crossing on dry ground. You got this picture? God says, now you're, you're to, to cross the river, the river Jordan, and go to the city of Jericho. But there's one big problem. It's at flood stage right now. We remember what a flooded river was like, don't we? Remember 2008? That time my, my daughter um, owned a house right next to Gateway Park, so it backed on to, uh, to the Cedar River. And I remember the day getting this panicky phone call from her saying, the water is so high, we've got to get out. I grabbed the, the old church pickup truck and I drove down to Gateway Park. I couldn't even get into the park because the water was so high, but I could see my daughter's house in the distance. Pretty soon I see Amy and her boyfriend coming out and the water's up to about here on them and they've got their dogs and cats that they're trying to save and they're trying to carry them out. It was one of the scariest things I'd ever experienced in my life. God is saying to the Israelites, now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the most valuable thing you possess, the Ark of the Covenant that represents the holy presence of God, that has the the Ten Commandments written on the tablets of stone. And I want you to take that and I want you to have the priest walk into this flooded, raging river. Boy, that'd be scary business. That'd be scary business. And what happens? They carry this and as soon, it says as soon as their feet touched the water, the water, this raging torrent stopped and the water up on one end, you know, upstream stopped and the water went on down to the Dead Sea until it was dry. And the priests were able to stand with the Ark of the Covenant in the middle of the, the flooded Jordan River till all the people were able to pass by on, on dry land. How were they able to do it? Because of the supernatural power of God. And God was showing these people, you you probably think this sounds a little bit like something God did before, right? When God brought the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, 40 years before that, what had he done? He had parted the Red Sea so that the people could pass through on dry ground to escape the, the Egyptian taskmasters, to go toward this land that God had given to them. And now, a generation later, God is saying again, I am the same God, I'm still with you, I have the same power today as I did then. And I will use it for you. Joshua had a great weapon, the supernatural power of God. What's the third weapon? What third unbeatable power did he need? What weapon? Well, I think maybe Joshua needed a superhero. I mean, wouldn't that be great at a moment like that to have a superhero? Kyle, what what is your favorite superhero? Wolverine, yeah, with the with the long fingernails. Yeah, I mean, that is a great one. Think about all those superheroes. They actually have one now that I can relate to, apparently. Ant-Man, the superhero for short people. Joshua needed a superhero, I think, and he got one. In fact, let's read the story of when Joshua encounters this superhero. This is Joshua chapter 5. It says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a sword drawn, a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. 
but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence, and he asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And this superhero then, chapter 6, verse 2, it says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. Joshua is getting ready for battle, and he sees this big warrior standing there, and he doesn't know if it's friend or foe. says to him, you know, who are you? Who do you think it was? Well, a lot of people would say that it was an angel, maybe an archangel, maybe somebody like Michael. I think it was the eternal Son of God who became Jesus Christ the man. I believe it was God himself there. I believe that's why. This warrior says to him, take the shoes off your feet. This is holy ground. What does that remind you of? Same thing that God had done to Moses, his predecessor, 40 years before that. When God spoke to him out of the burning bush and the holy presence of God was there, and God says, this is, this is a holy place because I am here. Take your shoes off. And now God appears again to Joshua as this great warrior. I wonder why he didn't identify himself and say, I'm Jesus. You know, wouldn't that have cleared things up a little bit? But when you think about it, remember, what is the name Jesus in the Old Testament? Joshua. So Joshua would come up to him and say, who are you? And the warrior would say, I'm Joshua. Joshua, no, I'm, I'm Joshua. No, I, you know, it could be the comic relief in this, in this movie. So he identifies himself as being the commander of the armies of God, the warrior king leading the armies of God. I believe it is the same eternal son of God who 1,500 years later is going to be born as a suffering servant in Bethlehem and become for the first time ever a human being, Jesus Christ the man. I believe it was the same eternal son of God who someday in the future is going to come back again as king of kings and lord of lords, as the mighty warrior riding on a white horse, as Jesus said, in all his glory with all of his holy angels with him. And he will lead that fight to victory when he will defeat the forces of of evil and establish God's eternal kingdom. I believe it was that real superhero who stood before Joshua that day and said, take off your shoes because you're in the presence of God and this is a holy place. And I believe with all my heart that God has given us those same unbeatable weapons today. We have the written Word of God. We don't have to guess. We don't have to try to remember what it might be that God is saying. We have it here. He's given it to us. I believe that the supernatural power of God is available to us to do His will today. I believe there's never going to be a time when God tells you to do something when He's not going to be able to make sure that you are able to do it. If God tells you to do it, trust Him. He is all-powerful. He is the ultimate superhero. And we can have a personal relationship with the God of the universe. And I hope that truth just sinks into you so much you feel like you just ought to take the shoes off your feet because you are standing on holy ground in the presence of the God of the universe. I hope it makes you want to fall on your face of the ground before Him because this is not some comic book superhero we're talking about. This is the King of kings and Lord of lords. 
I'm so excited about these things we're going to learn from Joshua. Next week, in the sequel to this movie, we're going to be looking at Joshua and the army of silence. I hope you can be here. Let's pray. Lord, there are times uh, when we feel pretty powerless, times when we are uncertain, afraid. Thank you for the weapons that you've given to us as you did to Joshua. Thank you for your word. Thank you for that incredible miracle that you oversaw the writing of this book and you preserved it for us today. Thank you that you are God whose power is so great, unlimited, and that there's never going to be a time when your power is not great enough you know, to help us to do your will. And thank you that we don't do it alone, that we do it in relationship with you, our God. You are the star of the movie. You are the one that it's all about. You are the one, the only one, who deserves glory and honor and praise, and we give it to you now.